Hi, I'm Stephen Rosen and welcome to the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment podcast where we delve beneath the surface to find out what really makes people tick. Welcome to the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment podcast. I've got Laura Reed with me, who's a, a person that I find really interesting. I've met uh, a writer's thing here on the island in, in Mallorca, and this is Laura's book. It's called Laura of Arabia. Correct. And we're going to start talking about this, but first of all, Laura, what, what are you doing at the moment? Yes, so thank you very much for having me, first of all. That's really nice. Um, I am hoping to get it translated into English this year, so that's that's the goal. <laughs> uh, and I am working on a children's book that, that sort of uh, follows the journey of migrating falcon. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, Laura's uh, story, which I'd love you to tell us a, a little bit about, because, you know, I was just so impressed when I heard it. You went over to, wh- where was it? One of the Saudi nations? No, to Qatar. So oh, I was, Qatar. Um, yeah, I was studying in Madrid and one semester in Paris. And then I was working in Madrid as well. And then it came up to move to Qatar. And it was, it was quite funny because you know Saudi Arabia was very known Dubai was very known but at that point Qatar was not a very well-known country because it was also prior to having won the World Cup um what is it called destination or something you know yeah they did they at that time it wasn't assigned yet you know and I kind of looked at the country on the map and I was like wow okay next to Iran (laughs) next to Saudi Arabia okay very far away and also I've never traveled to any Arab country so it it was just a very foreign world to me I you know traveled quite a bit in my life but Arab countries were just were just not on the list right so actually before even traveling there I just decided um okay I'll move there there was there was two things I googled because people told me oh my god you shouldn't and it was it was quite interesting because there's so many judgments people have but most of the people that told me not to move there and that it would be dangerous and that Arabs are terrorists and whatnot and all these judgments were people like me that that have never been there yeah right so you know I, I would have maybe listened to someone who has been in the region and if he or she had very big concerns then I would really look into it but it was a lot of people basing their judgments on the media. And how, how old was you at the time? At the time I, I think it was uh, 27, 26. Okay like yep. so, so you was traveling alone yeah? No with my ex-partner. Oh with your ex-partner yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not even that was, was really an issue, but they were like, you know, women rights and everything. But I actually Googled two simple things that were really easy to find out. And as a woman, I don't have to be covered. That is not a law. Yeah. Um, and my dog at the time was actually still alive. Um, they said, you know, dogs are not allowed in Arab countries and everything. And they were like, no, if all the vaccinations are up to date, he can travel there and those were the two main important things I don't want to be obliged to be covered or you know to change for anyone or for any state really and I don't want to abandon my dog those were (laughs) you know the two basic criteria and if the the dog doesn't go you don't go no yeah Yeah. 
<laughs> as simple as that. And I have to say, there is quarantine in a lot of places. And yeah. that was also not an option for me. And there was zero qu quarantine. It was just a matter of having all the papers um, up to date yeah. and doing all the paperwork. Um, and it was a very, very smooth process. And I have to say, from moving there, everything was was extremely positive in many ways. I mean, it was a cultural shock in many other ways as well because yeah, that country bet, is just yeah. so different to anything I ever knew before, you know. So it was really interesting. One of the first impressions I had is landing at this Doha airport. It was like this separation between black and white. You know, the women were dressed in these black abayas. It was just this black crowd that were yeah. women. And then the men were, were dressed in these white robes. And it was like, white were the men. That's really, what was, what's the significance of that? Do you that know? is their national dress, oh. yeah? And funnily enough, because they say, you know, the women have to cover and everything, the men actually cover as well. Their heads are yeah. covered with, with this yeah. national dress, yeah? And it was just really impressive to see. It was just beautiful, yeah? And um, I, could, I could feel very, very fast this, this warmth, this Arab hospitality, which, which is one of the things that I fell in love with, with that culture, you know, and it has me till today. And that's why Qatar will have a place in my heart forever, because that is, that is so special how these people, they don't just open their homes to you, they open their hearts. And it's, mm. it's, it's something you don't see or you know experience in a lot of places it's it's quite unusual isn't it and, and then until you get kind of really close with people and then even you know some some cultures uh, are very reserved and very reserved yeah. correct yeah and it was yeah it's it was noticeable when you do meet people like that and you are around people like that it's really you know you can you can pick up on it very quickly can't you correct and that is something that really really hit me from from very from from the very beginning, but then you know I got into the sort of expat life, expat communities. I was on my job and everything. I was working at Qatar Foundation, and but really my passion is working with with animals, and my dream was always to become a falconer and to you know train my own bird of prey. And it was really funny because I come you know I'm from Germany and I have this German mindset and German training. So in Germany, for anything you you want to obtain, there is a course. And there is, there is a license for it. So there is, you know, an examination to test your knowledge on the course you took. Yeah, it's so very it's accessible. Yeah. It's very accessible. It's very logical. <laughs> it's very, and, and it's very equal. You know, there is, yeah. you have these um, criteria to, you know, sometimes you have to be 18, like a driver's license or something like that. And uh, sometimes you have to have, you know, no criminal record. You bring your documentation. You do, you do your course. Yeah. You get the exam, you get the certification. So I went and asked everywhere for a falconry course. And people looked at me. In Qatar, yeah? Yes. In Qatar. <laughs> people looked at me really confused. They were like, what do you mean by a course? I'm like, you know, we're like, you, you learn the theoretical knowledge, first off, to have a theoretical yeah. basis. Then you go into the Is practical. Is that like with a dummy falcon? You exactly, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and, then, <clears throat> and then, you know, yeah. There is an exam, and I learned for it, and then I get the certification, right? And they were like, we never heard of that. Like, that's not how it works. And I was like, okay, so how does it work? And they were like, well, first of all, you're a woman, and so that's not a woman thing to do. I was like, okay, that's, um, I don't agree. <laughs> 
And they were like, well, it is what it is. It's, it's really interesting because there is not so much, you know, disagreement. They just go with the culture and it is what it is. It's really, yeah. it's, they just accept, which is also such a beautiful thing to do rather than questioning everything and trying to turn everything around. Well, I suppose it depends how you look at it, really. It depends what you're accepting, Mm. You know, it's it's nice to have that. That's a powerful acceptance. Thing to say. Yes, sometimes it, acceptance is nice, but yeah. sometimes it's inappropriate, and you sometimes just have to you go do need way. resistance as well. And correct, I think, yeah, yeah, you're right. So then I said, "How does it work?" And they said, "It's it's a family thing. It's passed from generation to generation. The grandfather picked it up, and he shows his son, and then his son has a son, and he grows up with it, seeing his father do falconry." And I'm like, "Okay, that's." that's great, but that's not going to work for me. They were like, yeah, then, <laughs> you know, it's not, right? And I didn't want to accept that because I wanted to learn falconry. And that's where my resistance came up because that's the, the culture is very segregated between men and doing their men leisure activities and women and their female leisure activities is sort of... yeah separated right and going into the desert hunting with falcons is definitely a male activity male occupation or exactly pastime, yeah yeah so I was thinking about it then i thought okay i'll get a book from amazon first to try to read up on the, a little bit on the basics of the theory and then i'll see and to be honest i then sort of put it on the back burner as in i don't know where to do it and that's where a Qatari friend, a girlfriend of mine. What? Can I? Sorry, just sorry, to interrupt yes. you. What kind of? Because you said you sounded like pretty determined. You wanted to do falconry. So what happened when all of a sudden you put it on the back burner? What was? I put going it on the back burner because I thought I'm. I'm. I've got this book now. Let me read something about it. You know, if I can't take practical driving lessons. Let me read about it, you know, and see how much I can get from there and see where I'm there. So it's, it's kind of, you know, I didn't want to go full on. I wanted to be like, okay, let me do my homework first yeah. and then move it. And, you know, at the time I was also working. So things, it's not like I'd had entire days to just dedicate to that. So I was like, let's do it that way. And, but in the meantime, I made friends, Qatari friends which is actually even looking back quite unusual because expats usually just remained in the expat community. Right, yeah. So me connecting with Qataris was already something unusual. It was a very special thing. I had um, I invited for a dinner party and that was that was the first dinner party I invited people to. And and it's going back to this Arab hospitality. It's it's in my book because I couldn't believe it. The first person came with like a wedding cake of, you know, five stories high of a cake. You know, I was like, wow, what kind of <laughs> gift is this? You know, wow. the next person came with a bouquet of flowers that nearly did not go into the entrance of, really? you know, my main. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this was just a dinner party. This was just a dinner party. I was not <laughs> celebrating my birthday or please, anything. Please take note, everybody. <laughs> And it was just insane, these, these, these gifts that people would bring. And it, it just, again, um, I mean, I obviously then got to know them and it, it never stops. It, this, this kind of hospitality and giving and giving never stops. It's, it's just this thing that they've got yeah. within them. It's amazing. And I was like, oh, my God, wow, I didn't. Like, 
for example, the cake. Is there? Can, can yeah. I just ask? Because I was talking to somebody in uh, in Bali, uh, someone yeah. who who knew the Balinese people, and, and they were saying the same, exactly the same thing about the Balinese people. We'll come back to your story, but I just just wanted to make this point. But they were saying the Balinese people are just so welcoming and so giving, and they'll they'll you know invite you into their home, they'll give you their food, they'll give you a meal, and and if you try to kind of you know, give them something back. They'll go, no, 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 no. But they really, you know, they can't. They can't afford to do that. But they're just something about their culture. They do need you to give them something back, but they they can't ask for anything back. So, I just wonder if if that was something that goes on in that culture as well, because it's, uh, it was really a, a quite a, a, a kind of profound thing to learn. Because you know, the, you meet all of these people, and they're all very loving and giving and caring. But they actually do need something back. But I, I don't know what it is about their culture, but there's some sort of conditioning yes. that stops them. Religious, I would say. Maybe, it's, it's yeah. It's a Muslim yeah. religious culture. Yeah, Possibly the same because thing, yeah. Qataris now, it's one of the richest nations. But obviously I don't know them from before, but from stories and everything, their way of being didn't change. They now have more means to give. Yeah. But from the stories that I heard, if a guest would come and they only have one camel and they really need that camel to get to the village to, you know, do things, they would slaughter it in order to invite you to a meal. Wow. Right? And it was the only thing they'd have. Yeah. But it's this um, Muslim spirit of that religion to keep on giving and to give as much as you can or more than is comfortable yeah. to give. Yeah. So when you received all of these gifts and they kept giving these gifts did you was you aware of this or was you just like wow what's no, going on no i was i was like what is going on and this <laughs> cake like it didn't even fit in the fridge you know it's like what is going on it's a huge cake throughout the whole week i was feeding the entire neighborhood with that cake you know and one of the last persons to arrive she came with a falcon as a dinner party gift yeah bought a falcon to the dinner party yes Correct. Okay. Yeah, it yeah, was a normal thing to do. Yeah, it's just I one of those used things. Used to turn up with tigers and lions and <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I have to say, it was just, uh, it was just this, this enormous cage with a very small falcon. It was, it was a, it's a kestrel. So it's the smallest falcon, and it's also known, or you know, it's commonly the beginner's falcon in the yeah. Arab world. You know, the children start with a kestrel and then they move their way up. So this falcon was obviously mesmerized with all these people and things. So, and I, you know, had a party to host, right? I was absolutely overwhelmed with this falcon. I was like, what is going on? She said, I know how much you wanted them. So I asked the driver to go and buy, buy a falcon for you. Wow. And I was like, okay, but I'm not there at managing. You know, and I, I can't believe it. she's like, it's fine. You're going to learn. So in this moment where I have all these guests at my house, I take this falcon cage and I put it in a separate room and I close the door so that it's safe and, you know, it doesn't see all these people and it's just in a quiet, dark room, right? So here I am hosting all these people, having the dinner and everything, and they leave quite late. I think it was somewhere between 1 and 2 a.m., which is also quite typical because they're, they're very evening people, right? Yeah. I have to say I was exhausted and just passed out in my bed. And then the next morning I wake up and say to my ex, I'm like, I don't know. I have to say, I actually don't know if this is Did a dream. Did someone give us a falcon last <laughs> night? <laughs> I was like, I have to tell you, but 
I think someone gave us a, gave me a falcon last <laughs> night. I'm just remembering this, but to be honest, it could also be a dream because I'm actually not sure. And the funniest thing is, you you like it's not. I was I don't even drink alcohol, and you know Arabs don't, so there was zero alcohol involved. But it was just that it seemed like a dream, you know. And I remember going down the stairs of really not knowing whether if I open that door, there's going to be a falcon or not. So I opened the door, and there the falcon was looking at me with those eyes you know and I was like wow it's 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 real it's alive it's there I can't believe it so that really of putting it on the back burner of you know let me just read a book let me see you know how I can get into this world it was like boom it's here you know so there you know there's an observation on that your your kind of energy was obviously out there your intention was out there to learn falconry and Fa uh, faster than ever before and then of course the universe just puts a falcon <laughs> in your bedroom <laughs> after a dinner party after a dinner party that that's just how it was and it's it's also really special the story that it was a woman who gave it to me and and i remember when i called her and i said okay so what do i do with this falcon she's like i don't know i gave it to you not because i like it because i know that you like it and, and i'm like that's true, thank you, but I don't know what to do with it. Can you ask your brothers? No, my brothers aren't into falconry. They don't know. So I was, again, a bit of at, at square one. But then I thought, okay, let's go back into rational thinking. First of all, I don't know anything about falcons. I don't know if this falcon is, is healthy, right? So I decided to first take it to the vet and have, you know, a checkup done just a mm. generic checkup to see if this bird is well so i take it to the first falcon clinic and of course we're talking about qatar so it has like three falcon clinics <laughs> you know i wish we had at least one in mallorca but no um so i take it there and they refused to attend me because i shouldn't have a falcon and because you was female yeah and the doctor was you know very misogynistic and also like you know, do you know that it's not a parrot? I'm like, yeah, I know it's not. A, it's, it's a falcon. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it eats meat, you, not seeds. I'm did like, you know the uh, the Monty Python dead parrot sketch? Oh, no. <laughs> but I should look into it probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame you didn't know that and so started going into that with him. <laughs> so he was, he was just terrible. And I said, just forget who I am I'm just gonna just treat the bird because as and I even had this conversation with him like as a vet you should care for the bird like whoever brings you know that should be your priority and I would pay you but it's about the bird and he refused he said you know I should try to get rid of this bird and I should not be involved in it and he's not gonna check it so I was like okay um and then thankfully I went to a different clinic I had it um I had it checked that was also a funny story because they were like, full checkup? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they did an x-ray. They scanned the blood. Wow. They did a fecal sample. They checked the, the, the lungs. And I was thinking, oh, my God, I don't even know if I have enough <laughs> money on my bag. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I don't know, I'm just going to have to clean dishes, you know, to make up for this bill. And, you know, when they passed the bill to me, they were like, you know, 80 reals, and I was like, 8,000, 800, because 80 was like, I don't know, 25 euros or something. Oh, like right, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I later understood that it's, uh, there's sub 
um, subvent, no, how do you call it? Um, Subsidiaries. Subsided. Well, not subsided. Yeah, so it has, has government help. But I was like, okay, 25 euros for all of this. I'm like, okay. Is that just for falcons or for yeah, all animals? Yeah, it's just for falcons. Just for falcons. It's just a falcon clinic. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. That's the one to get, the pet to get out there. That's, then, that's the one. So it was all healthy, healthy and it was all good. And then um, I actually spotted at the clinic a Qatari with his son. And I just spotted them and I thought, this is, this is my prey. that's exactly what i need to get into he's teaching his son and i just need to you know listen in on that and just funnily enough listen in on that could you speak any other language no no because i had just recently arrived you know i was still new to qatar lucky to have all these qatari connections but they were all english speaking and not bedouins you know and this man was a bedouin who came you know from outside of the city into the city, specifically to the Falcon Clinic to have the Falcon checked. Yeah, right. he didn't speak a word of English. Yeah, well, a word, yes, no, hello, goodbye, that, yes, yeah, but no, yeah. no sentence. And I couldn't speak Arabic because I had just arrived and I was speaking, you know, I was working in English. Um, and it was just such a funny story because that man felt incredibly uncomfortable of me approaching him that is not something you do in that culture <laughs> you know it was just like he was like okay but he couldn't even say it you know he, he just but this whole body language thing he tell. was really yeah. like oh my god just get out of my space what, but he didn't want to be that? unfriendly or rude either but it was just like we don't talk to women you know like random woman oh is this lunacy Unless, woman you know i would need help Anyone would come and help me. This actually happened to me many times that my car broke down on the street. Anyone, it doesn't matter, man or woman, will always stop to help you. But they're not going to engage and chat you up. That's not going to happen, you know. They will help you. You know, I could fall over on the street or have an accident. Everyone would be there to help me, no doubt. It's that kind of thing. But other than that, it's not mixing. So he was really, yeah, he was terrified of me approaching him and then he's like yeah no English and it was funny because before I was watching him I I could see that he was on the phone and he slipped his mobile phone into his uh, national dress they have like these hidden pockets in the national dress and he slipped the phone in so then once I approached him I'm like you know I got a falcon but I don't know so I'm kind of like your son or probably less than your son your son is most likely more advanced right but what you do with your son i would like to watch <laughs> you know and learn me quiet just watching yeah <laughs> and he's like definitely not <laughs> no way <laughs> and i'm like yes way yeah and i'm like we don't have to be friends that's okay <laughs> like you know i just want to watch and he told me yeah i was like phone number you know phone yeah phone and he, he, he said, no phone, no. Like, he was trying to say he doesn't yeah. have a phone. And I was like, yeah, I, I saw it in <laughs> your pocket. You, I, you do have one. You probably forgot about it. But there it is, <laughs> just right in that pocket yeah. there. Yeah. And he tried to resist, oh, that poor man. Even if I look back, like, now that we're friends, uh, we can look back and together laugh. He still says it was one of those most uncomfortable moments in his life because he was literally in a corner 
I would push more and I made this gesture of reaching into his pocket, which would have Ooh. been a terrible thing in that culture. I mean, it's yeah. already weird in our culture, yeah. but in there. But I just, I was like, I'm going to get your phone out. You know? <laughs> and then he got it out and he's like, oh my God, you know, like she's crazy. So I was like, okay, you give me your number. Okay, I call you. So you don't trick me with the wrong number, you know, been there, done that, like, <laughs> ain't happening. You've really not nailed this fella down, haven't you? He's yeah, like, so I was like, this yeah. is this is my trainer. I just, you know, knew it, I saw him, and I wouldn't let it go. What was that? Where did that come from? Was it just like your... Gut feeling. Just, it was so, I saw so him same in from the inside, clinic. was it? Yes, I saw him in the clinic with his boy, and it was a gut feeling, and it, nothing... Nothing stopped me. Because everything's going against you here, isn't it? Everything is going against me. Literally everything. Yeah. The fact that he doesn't speak a word of English. I don't speak a word of Arabic. The fact that he really doesn't want to teach me. All of that did not stop me. The fact that he was trying to lie about his telephone. It No, I was like, yeah, it's going to be tough. I understand. You're going to teach me. And that's just the way it is, you know. And then I'll be gone. But you have to teach me falconry. And then ciao. Okay. Then I'm out of your hair. Yeah, yeah. And I actually followed him to his car. I also said, like, I know your car, license plate now. I will be your stalker. I'll come and find you. Yeah, I'll come <laughs> and find you. No, I mean, it was his worst experience because he was like, wow, this lady is completely cuckoo, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what, just a, just a, a clash of different cultures. Yes. A clash of different. Absolutely. Obviously, you know, just different people different ideas and 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 the whole history of 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 complete opposites and never had a female friend he's never talked to a foreigner he actually doesn't didn't know for like foreign people it's really funny how that story evolved and and i'm sure you must have been aware of 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 some of their culture and and aware at the time that what you was doing was was really going against the grain for them right inappropriate but for me at that point i had this falcon and the goal was to learn how to, yeah. how to, you know, handle this falcon. And I was like, that's going to be above everything else. How was you feeling when this was going on? Do you, have you got any, or, or was, was you just, just in like, I'm going to get this done? I'm going to get this done. Right. Yeah, I really don't care what he thinks about me. And I also told him, I'm like, we don't have to be friends. You don't have to like, I mean, the thing is, you know, I tried to like talk with a lot of signs and body language. Yeah. yeah? But I was trying to make it clear, we don't have to be friends, you know, I just want this and you're going to have to give it to me. And, you know, like, that's it. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you haven't got much choice <laughs> in the matter. <laughs> and it was quite funny because then I started calling him, you know, and I said, you know, meet you. Where are you? You know, and he's like, no, no, no good day today. No good day. And I was like, let's face it. No day is a good day, you know, but every day is really a good day. Right. I mean, every day could be bad. But if you have the intention, it could work out. Yeah. So let's just meet today and then see, you know, how we get on. And he's like, no, 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 today, no. And I insisted. And I'm like, I'll come and find you. I will, you know. I didn't know where he lived, but I was just really insisting. And I'm like, but seriously, it's just the more time passes, it's not going to get better. So let's just do this, you know. So he's like, okay, fine, you know. Do you know this? I'm sure, this- as, you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, from his position, I'm sure... There was so much that he was getting out of that, although he was obviously conditioned and, and, and you know, his way of life was against sort of engaging in this this relationship with you. I'm sure, you know, 
he was fascinated by it as well. He must have been at some point. I guess because he was like, I can't get rid of her. And, and of course, there's a lot I didn't understand. I'm not sure how much he understood of I'm like, where are you? Location, position. You know, I always use like different words. Um, and then he, he said something. And because I didn't even know Qatar at that point, he mentioned a petrol station. I'm like, great. Yes. And he said something like two, two o'clock. I'm like, yes, two o'clock, petrol station. Okay, <laughs> I'll be there. And, you know, I was, I was up for anything because I was like, maybe this man never turns up and I'll have to, you know, storm call him 500 times until he changes his phone number. I mean, anything is possible, right? But there he was with his son at two o'clock. So I was like, perfect, exactly what I wanted. You know, he had his falcon. The son had his falcon. I have my tiny falcon. I'm going into the desert with them. And, you know, I'll just learn. Okay, so first off, he looked at my car and he was like, tires, no good. You come, my car, yeah? Um, and I was like, oh, okay, so I need to get geared up to go into the desert, desert off-road and, you know, I need yeah. to prepare in a different way. Mm, and then we drive, but I'm like, okay, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm getting my How first was you lesson. feeling then? Was you, was you just excited yeah. elated was you nervous yeah I was like I'm I'm this is like in the end I thought this is easier after all I thought I'm gonna have to call him like 10,000 times before he's like okay just come along because it's did you want to like punch the air out the window or something yeah, like yeah. yeah. it's like I'm doing it <laughs> so then we, we we drive and drive into the desert and there's nothing else and suddenly there is like yeah I would say 15 Arab men in the middle of the desert and then we get out they see me and they have you know quite the resistant look on them. They start talking in Arabic. I don't understand a single word, but from the body language, they were basically like, what is this? Yeah. Like, who did you pick up? Like, and, like, what were you thinking bringing a woman? What, what, what was his name, the guy? Salim. Salim. Yeah. yeah. And poor Salim, you could see him. He was like, listen, you have no idea. <laughs> like, you have no idea what, what this <laughs> woman's capable of. Yeah. You have no idea, because if you would have met her, You'd, you'd have the same problem and she'd, she'd end up here because there was no way of getting rid yeah. of her, you know? So it was so funny how I could understand the conversation just without, out of the concept. Without and, the language, and, yeah. Yeah, without understanding actually the literal words they yeah. said to each other. But they were visibly upset and he was just like, listen, got to bring her out. If we're lucky, you know, she doesn't like it, she'll never come back. I mean, I can't wait till you translate this into English because... <laughs> I can picture the scene in my head, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. And this, is, this yeah. is the thing that I hadn't realized. I thought it was going to be this guy, Salim, with his son. I didn't know that this was a whole intimate family affair. These men that criticized him and were really angry, they were his brothers. Yeah, right. They were his co first cousins, uh, some uncles. So they were really his closest male family members they were not just a couple of dudes hanging out you know it was just <laughs> yeah. a real family yeah. affair and of course I was like oh wow I didn't know this wow. was a family affair you know in that sort of context yeah right when I was like and not, a male family affair and, yeah. ma yes male family affair but yeah. I'm like I'm here now you know I'm, I'm on a mission and I've this is what I've got to do <clears throat> and another funny part of the story because of this um language barrier and we could just be like yes Okay, no, that kind of thing. He didn't even understand my name. He was like, um, 
Margaret, right? I'm like, no, no, Laura or Laura. You know, Laura. You know, I tried to like pronounce my name differently, but I was like, Laura. (laughs) And they were like, Margaret, here, here. They kept calling me Margaret. And it, it was really funny. So from that day where there was a lot of resistance and the family members were really, you know, pulled it back, they somehow realized I really wanted to do this. You know, yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah, <laughs> they, did, they did realize. So it was like, OK, let's show her this. And then we part ways, which was not communicated. That was all communicated to me later, you yeah. know, because there was very little communication going on. So I started learning falconry from them. They gave me the first couple of steps. So was that a, like a collective, a group? Yes, which I didn't know. I that thought was it was just going to be this, this man with with yeah. his son. You know, but it's just this family affair. And then you see, you know, Abdullah and then you see Khalifa and they all have their falcons and they all do their things. So I, you know, I actually could learn faster because I had all these examples. Right. Wow. And and the agreement was that if a different group came or if, you know, someone foreign would come, I'd have to hide in the car. (laughs) (laughs) We can do this, but no one under any circumstances must know about this. And the last thing that is possible is you write a book about it. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, okay, yeah, sure. Okay, under those conditions, we'll teach you. They'll accept me. And I'm, I'm, yeah, so sometimes they spotted a car, you know, miles out because it was just flat desert. They were like, Laura, in the car. And I would do it because I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, put up more resistance. They're here now. They're teaching me. All good. So there was a lot of hiding in the car going on, on. And then it all progressed, and I was sort of ready to train my falcons and do my own thing. And, they, and it was such an interesting exchange, because I learned Arabic, they learned English. They're grateful till today that I taught how them long English. Was, how long did the process take, Laura? Months. Month. I mean, the process of learning the falconry was maybe one or two months where you're like at a beginner's yeah. level. But as I like to say it, I'm still learning now and I'm doing my own thing yeah. and I'm teaching other people. But but I'm still learning because if you have a growth mindset, you never stop learning. And there's always new experiences that you're like, wow, you know, in my 20 years of falconry, this never happened. Boom, it happens. And you learn something again. So you really never stop. Right. Wow. But in a couple of months, you're at some yeah. beginner's level able to do some some form of, you know, and, and I, su- I suppose, I mean, I don't know, but I suppose you just tune into your bird and, and you get a, a kind of a connection, which is, is not a, a, a verbal connection, but it's, uh, you know, I kind of felt, I felt that I was sitting in a garden and it's, I certainly wasn't using the, the bird under any circumstances of uh, hunting or, or anything, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of, I was sitting in a, in my garden, this was quite a few years ago, and the little robin came. Yep. And the robin sat down and I was watching the robin and, and the robin was watching me. And it was like, you know, I felt a real connection to this robin. Like there was some sort of knowledge or some sort of communication going backwards and forwards. And, and it was just like a really beautiful moment. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure like with spending that much time with, with your bird that you, you must get that kind of connection. You, you create a connection, and, and that's the powerful thing. And that's when, when you're, you're learning and when you're understanding that it's also a journey inward, it's, you can deepen those connections. I, I have met people along my life, and I, I'm sure I still will, 
that have been into falconry and then they said, I'm too scared that my falcon will never come back, so I won't let it go. And that defeats the whole purpose of falconry, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it shows again, who is scared, the falcon or you? It's you because you're holding on to it, yeah. right? And then, then you're not trusting the relationship you have, right? There's a lot going on underneath that, isn't there? And, there's and a lot going on yeah, underneath there's there. A lot, there's a attachment, isn't there? There's the, yeah. fear, so the fear of loss, the fear of... So it was exactly yeah Yeah. and and not building that connection just wanting to exert control and how can we exert control over a a, a bird that's flying free well not flying free you can you can just tether them Ah, and some people don't let what they don't let them fly no oh wow some people you know Um, how sad is that i think that's very sad and it's not falconry anymore you know you're just keeping a falcon pet at home yeah falconry is always letting that bird free time and time again trusting that relationship and sometimes it doesn't work for for various reasons i've lost birds in all kinds of circumstances and and some people have had similar things happen and due to that event they then decide not to let them fly yeah so so they they might have lost a bird and then they've got another one but we're not taking any chances now so Yes, that kind of thing, and it's what it's is what is that? What I mean, I, you, know, you obviously can't speak for other people, but it's. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's fear. It's it's a traumatic experience. It's mm. um, oh, I think at least I want. I mean, I'm not the only one, but but lots of falconers who are really into it. If they lose a bird, they want to quit because it's so painful, and it happened to me too. I was like, I, this is not for me. Like the the pain and everything, I can't do it. But it's it's. But this is also the interesting thing that if you give space to this pain, you you let it sit, you you explore it, you observe it, you go deeper. It's transformative, right? Yeah. And well, without pain, you there's no growth, is there? There's no. Exactly, exactly. There's so no yeah. There's, and the other, I suppose, the other end of that is you know growth and and, and care absolutely. and love and yes, and all of these things that. So it's a huge risk, you know, when people also ask me, what's the lifespan of a falcon? I'm happy to say it's possible to have 10 to 15 years. Of a, it's very possible. But due to a lot of factors, um, you know, also, you know, all these changes in society, windmills and traffic and everything, the risks are so much bigger or, or electrical poles that yeah. aren't um, insulated very well. So many risks of people losing their their birds of prey that it's impossible to say, and there's no guarantees. Every time I let my falcon go, one thing is the relationship I have with the bird. Another one is we could have the perfect relationship, and it flies into I don't know an airplane, yeah. uh, truck, or you know, and that has nothing to do with the bond I have. And then of course there's great pain of having built up this bond, working, and then just seeing them die in front of your eyes. Mm, that must be really, uh, really yeah, difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most difficult things, and that's um, and that's an, another interesting cultural aspect. So, in the European or Western culture, it's more like, okay, well, carry on, tough luck, you know, make the best out of it, and things. And there is one word or two words linked together, something like that, in Arabic, which means abshibilawath is. Um, God shall replace what has been taken away from you. And it's so poetic because if we think about it, 
you know, sometimes we're so attached to what we lose, whether it's, um, you know, a relationship to a person or an animal, something material, right? Where we get so, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, my car is gone, we get, you know, or my house yeah. was taken away or this and this and this. And we get so into that, that then what is replaced sometimes is so much better, right? I'm not saying it's always the, the time. Yeah, but I think if... Uh yeah, but it's a whole process, isn't it's it? It's a whole process, for sure. But that's something also that I learned, especially from my German mentality. There is this huge trust in God in the Arabs that it's like, this This is all part of it. So they have much better way of dealing with things because they're like, you have to let go. There's no other choice. Like, why would you even think about it, yeah. right? And God is there to take care of it and he will replace something for you, inshallah. You know, this That's is always uh, God willing. And um, it's it's really interesting how it changes your perspective. Yeah, I think I think it does. Yeah. And I think probably in, in I don't know, maybe I'm speaking f uh, for the whole Western world here, <laughs> taking a, a bit of responsibility. But there isn't so much that faith, is there? I think the faith has is, is been lost and it's, been lost, it's yeah. more replaced with, you know, the more of the need to control rather than faith. And that's a opposite end of the scale isn't it really so if you look at faith as you know everything's as it's meant to be and you know things will work out and then as you come along that scale and you get less and less faith then the, it could, the control extends more and the more need to yeah. control things and and to know the outcome and to know, you know, it's going to be okay. And it's really interesting because some, some people criticize it as in, well, everything happens for a reason, whatever. You still have to do something and you have to do your part. It's true. And Arabs don't think like, I'm just going to sit on the sofa and not do anything because, you know, they still do. And that goes back to the gifts and everything. It's like, that is doing. They don't just think, well, I'm going to come over to your house and, you know, maybe God will send you a gift later. So, no, no, they yeah. do. You know, there is a lot of action, but there is also this letting go of, you know, the rest is not up to me and I'm not going to try to control it. Do you think that you, did you have that before you met these people or is that something that you've, you've learned, you've learned, Definitely from, learned. from them, from yeah, the culture? Yeah, because the German way is, is, is very much controlling and, you know, nothing happens for anything. Like, you're going to have to go, you're going to have to do everything. And, and I think there is a mix. Yes, you have to do, you have to be in that intention. Um, I mean, I think the reason that I got a falcon was because I did put it out there. She didn't just guess it. I did say that I'm, you know, yeah. mesmerized by falcons. They fascinate me. I would like to do it. I did voice that, you know, that is an intention. Of course, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't just something random that she felt, you know, Laura could be potentially into falcons, yeah. maybe. No, it was, you know. We got a cheap falcon. We're giving it to her as a gift or something. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So, so you do have to put your intention out there. Of course, yeah. And I did have the book. You know, that was already a doing yeah. from my side and it didn't just randomly appear in my inbox, you know. So I, I just think there is a lot of doing, but also there is a lot of letting go and trusting the process. And I feel that sometimes, you know, we're stuck on either side of it and it would be so great if we find more like a middle way of, you know, trust the process, just follow it, but also do your part as much as you can without getting too worried, you know, of Germans having a 50 point to-do list and yes, stretching yeah. yourself out. It's yeah. like, no, just, just do, but don't worry if it's five points or 10 points or 15 points. Just, That's a just fine do. balance, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and do you think the balance is, is an internal balance or a, an external balance of? I think it's both. 
both. Yeah. yeah, because when we grow up, we have this domestication process that we learn a lot of patterns. We learn a lot of beliefs that is very difficult for us to separate it. Is it my belief? Is it my cultural belief? Uh, whose belief is it? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the environment has a lot to do with that. And then it depends, of course, on your, you know, private and interior journey of, of where you get into questioning all of that. Um, but another interesting thing I saw recently, and because of my relationship to, to Arabs and Qataris specifically, it made a lot of sense to me. There is the Max Planck in uh, Institute. They made uh, research on brain connections of native German speakers and native Arab speakers. And they proved a point that the language also has a factor of how your brain is wired. So they saw that the Arabs, their left and right hemispheres are completely connected. They constantly connect everything. And the yeah. Germans are very much, oh, this is a right side brain kind of issue. Yes, yeah. I'll treat it with that. Oh, this is something that requires the left brain. Brain and yeah. I, you know, and it's very much separated because Germans are, you know, this is in that box and very organized, right? Compartmentalized, yeah. Compartmentalized, and and when I saw this study, I was like, oh wow, that that makes complete sense, you know, because Arabs are like everything is connected, everything is together. There is more oneness, there is more togetherness in yeah. a way. Germany is more separated in a way, the yeah, way they yeah. speak, and and so it makes a lot of sense that that kind of external event of the culture and language will influence how you think and how you perceive things it's really interesting though isn't it that you you speak about that in that arab culture that oneness and and all of that but then there's some really kind of boundaries about about uh genders yeah yes. about gender and other stuff so on the one on the one sense that you know they're very enlightened in in a way but very Absolutely. conditioned in another way. Yeah. So, you know, maybe enlightened internally and conditioned externally. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I think that's... Um, and it was really interesting, my journey, because, you know, from hiding in the car <laughs> so that nobody would find out that this group was training a female, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge thing. <clears throat> it became that, you know, I was more and more independent. I could train my own falcons. And I was, so to say, ready to leave, but it was so beautiful because they were like, please don't leave. Train with us. You are our family now. Right. You know, like we cannot even, like you've got your place in the desert with us. Yeah, so, so you won your place in the desert with them, really. Yeah, and, and right. if you would leave, nobody could fill that void, you know. And, and the way they said that, it was just like, I mean, it's my honor, you know, as long... Mm. And then, you know, they, their language developed and it was just so funny to talk with them about how they felt, you know, and talking about this segregation. So Salem said one of his biggest worries, because he saw Hollywood movies and he saw that women, if there is a mouse, they would jump on the sofa or if there's blood, they would faint. Yeah. So all these stereotypes from certain movies. They, they would just think that's, that's how women are, right? Hollywood's got a lot to answer for, that's for sure. <laughs> and so he thought, oh my God, I don't know if this lady has ever seen blood. And now she's going to see blood at hunting with falcons. And she's going to faint. Right. And what do, this is what was going on in his head, which I didn't know at the time because yeah. there was no language exchange. 
So in his mind, he was like, okay, what will I do? If she's fainting, first I will put water on her. Then maybe I'll shake her. This was So he's got all this story going on. So while yeah. I'm just like, yay, I'm you know, going to learn falconry <laughs> with my falcon, he's thinking she's going to faint. He's, I'm going to have to take he's her. He's worried about wasting a bucket of water trying to wake you up again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was really interesting because I couldn't believe that that was his worry. And it's so interesting because that goes back again. We might have the same event, but each one of us has a different experience of the yeah, same event. and perception. And of, perceptions, yeah. right? And it's, so yeah. obviously it didn't kick in, but his next issue is that if I got seriously ill um, and he has to take me to the hospital and he has to actually deliver me, the questions they would ask him of, first of all, why he's, he's got me in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> and second of all, you know, what happened to me? He was really worried that it would come to that. It was so interesting. I'm not going to say it's impossible. I mean, I could have, you know, tripped and fallen. But once a, again, that's so that's like the fear end of the scale, isn't fear, it? It's yeah. really like, you know. For but he, was, he didn't know what he was doing. Just as we're yeah. sitting here and you probably didn't have any fear of me coming over, he was like, oh my God, you know, like yeah. this foreign creature and on top of it, a woman, like, what do I do? How do I deal with It's so interesting, it, isn't it? You know? It's so interesting that, I mean, it, I think that the whole thing is just a beautiful exchange between you and this group of people. But, yeah, it, you know, what's kind of talking about all of this stuff and, and realising people's fears, you know, what he's obviously shared with you afterwards, yes. uh, of how, how people live. Because we see, we see, you know, what we want to see in people, see don't we? Mean. And we don't really know what's going on underneath. No. So what, in a, in a way, you know, you must have been, well, I'm sure you are incredibly persuasive, but, you know, he's, he's had to overcome all of these fears that he's yes. got as well mm-hmm. to actually, you know, extend that, that offer of, of, of teaching you. So No, and, and, the, and the family... I'm sure that um, the gifts that you give to these people are, are incredible as well. You know, they've, they've grown. They must have grown. Uh, Absolutely, and the family was just so welcoming, despite their very clear reservations in the beginning um and actually and i also learned that many years after because they weren't sharing it with me because they didn't want to make me feel unwelcome one of the family members never came around to me never accepted me and what they did instead of excluding me they excluded him right you know and that's quite a big deal if you think about yeah, it because he's yeah. he's part of the family you know and he's sort of got a birthright to it but if they felt you know it wasn't okay for him to not accept it and to not be welcoming and they decided to exclude him and you know when I asked about him I was like well where where is he now and they're like oh yeah no he's busy he's got other things so mm. he sort of did lie to me about it because they were feeling like if and to be honest it's very difficult now in hindsight to say how would I have reacted? Would I have actually not turned up again just, you know, to sort of mend family things? But that's what they really didn't want because they felt, you know, he was just not being friendly and that's not part of their yeah. culture. And I think that's the thing about families, isn't it? It's uh, They're quite complex, aren't they, families? Yeah, especially big ones. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about one brother. We're talking about yeah. nine plus all the cousins and, and yeah. the uncles and everything. And it was really nice because over the years then, it became a process of, you know, me hiding in the car to then, um, you know, giving advice to, to others, to giving interviews, to writing this book, and then them actually saying, we're the ones who trained her, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. She's part of our family, you know, and um, 
Yeah, I never expected that. They didn't expect that. And they also told me, they said, you know, in the end, when we finally agreed to train you, we thought, you know, you're going to see what it is, what it takes to be a falconer, which is a lot, you know, it, yeah. it, it requires a lot of time and dedication and this, you know, connecting, making this bond and everything. They thought it's too much. And then they thought I would be like, oh, my God, you know, like can't be bothered and would leave it. Or the other option, they thought I will learn it. They're like, okay done the deal we taught you go that's actually the two scenarios that they had in mind and my my idea was actually just the second one I'll learn it and I'll go so we both didn't think that we would grow so close and it's a you know 20 plus year relationship I've seen their children grow you know that child that I met in the hospital is now in university and he was a tiny boy you wow. know and I've seen it all throughout. And uh, it's I bet he's got a fantastic story as well to tell his, yeah. uh, his friends growing up. He, he, there wouldn't have been many people in his position, would there? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So it, it was really beautiful, but I, I could have never imagined it from that point where I had this Qatari in the corner practically on gunpoint yeah. <laughs> trying to get his number i mean it's an incredible me story but i, I mean I, I think you know and I, I know speaking we were speaking earlier about you know parenting and child and, and and just you know how you how you kind of give what you can in this world and and i'm sure you know you must have just take, taken so much from that whole experience of, of absolutely yeah of overcoming your own yeah, your own kind of resistance to, to you know, that initial resistance. So, okay, I'm going to put it on the back burner. And then and then that process, you know, of, of overcoming that and, and, and moving forward. And It's so interesting, even now looking back, because I think we, we are our own biggest stones in the road, so to say. Yeah. You know, I'm still thinking if Fatma wouldn't have given me that falcon, I don't know where I'd would I have dared to to take that step probably not and that's that's coming from me and I'm quite a daring person yeah, yeah, yeah. but then I thought yeah but I don't know I don't have the course and but 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 there's always a million buts there's always a million ways to stop us right but then when she gave it to me I felt like no I'm not going to sell it I'm not going to give it away I, I'm I'm going to learn this now and it set this in motion and and sometimes that's what it takes, right? Someone else to, you know, I felt like, and I tell her that, like, you just pushed me in the cold water yeah, just with yeah. one, you know, one push. And you're like, yeah. learn to swim that's it, now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. swim or drown. You know, there is no And I think that's, uh, that's really how, how work, life works out, isn't it? Because when you do have an intention and, and it's out there and, you know, and, and you may have to let that kind of... Uh, we incubate a little bit before it, it it kind of springs to life or you know it needs to grow underground a bit before the shoots come up and yeah but sometimes it's, yeah it's hindsight when you look when i look back at hindsight in in all things in my life i, I think they worked out how they was meant to work out and you know quite often Agreed. some of them was painful and difficult and you know but they all seem to be the right path and i don't know if there is a wrong path is there no, I don't think there's a wrong path. And I, I think it's really interesting because the, the other interesting part of to get back to the book is um, so many people 
um, nudged me and saying, you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, it's such a thing to say, right? You should write a book. And I'm like, well, yeah, how about you? They're like, no, but that story, it's so interesting and how you integrate it into that culture and all you, you, sh you really should. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then the next person and the next person, it really became a thing of not just one person telling me, but various people. I was like, okay, it's various people, right? Maybe I should look into it, but I felt like uh, imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to yeah, write a book? Yeah. You know, like I mean, there is you know Stephen King and I don't know really amazing authors, and who am I to like put a book on the table, right? But all of this, where people say this is such a beautiful sh story that more people should know, it's like okay, fine. Let me research how you even write a book, you know, like apart from, you know, putting the pages together. Um, but then I had a talk with a couple of people, you know, publishers, agents, and this whole thing, you know, you have to finish a manuscript and then this, and it has to basically be finished and go to different publishers. And I was like, wow, okay, this is quite the process. I, yeah, I have to think about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I've put like these seeds out of, you know, I was... Not sure yet whether to do it, but I was thinking about it and saying, okay, let's see, you know, at maybe. At this point, had, had anybody seen, had you like produced anything for like no. first three chapters or anything like that? No, just no, no. Nothing. Based on your experience and the idea that you're selling these it, it's just It was just based on people telling yeah. me, you should write a book. Right. And then I talked to a couple of friends, you know, who knew a publisher or, okay, so you know, yeah, someone yeah. who, you know, I was like... Guide, like, what do I have to do? Do I have to write three uh, chapters? Most people told me, no, you have to write the entire book, have the manuscript ready, and then, yeah. you know. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's quite the project. <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about it. And I had, like, contacts in Germany and England and also in Qatar. And then I was in Mallorca. I had just left Qatar. And I said, this is really overwhelming. I'm going to have a nap in my hammock. And I'm not going to think about it. And it's the funniest story because I woke up from an email that pinged to my phone while I was napping in the hammock. And it was a publisher reaching out to me, one that I haven't talked to. I don't have any links to. It was not one of those people that I consulted. And they said, would you be writing a book about you? We, you know, we heard about your story in Qatar and we would pay you up front and you would, you know, you would have an editor and wow. everything and we would publish it. And it was just so funny because I was like, yeah, sure. Because, this, you know, this is how it's meant to be. Really, I'm not going to look for Absolutely, more publishers. Absolutely, yeah. And then I mean, that's, that's really... Yeah, I, I think that's that's that you know synchronicity. That's the world uh, and then also supporting this, you in exactly this doubt in, in whether I have something to say or should I write this book kind of immediately vanished because I was like, they want me to write the book, they're going to publish it. You know, yeah. whoever wants to read it can buy it, and you know whoever doesn't obviously doesn't, and that's fine. But it was just this. Then you see again the self doubt. You know, like oh my god, you know should like. Well, I mean, I, I really resonate with that self-doubt. When I was writing my book, and it was completely different. I, I, I hadn't spoke to anyone. I just started writing mine on, on my own and, and was writing for years and years, kind of in the background. And every now and then, I'd just think, an author? Who, who, are, you, who are you trying to kid, you know? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, then I'd just uh, I'd read back, a, you know, maybe a, a chapter or a few paragraphs and think, no, this is actually good. You know, this is good, so... And that's what got me through that. Yeah, that, it's interesting the, the the journeys that we have, but but yeah, but there is a lot of self doubt, and it's it's really funny. I I know that I'm a confident person, right? 
But it's just the self-doubt gets you in various times, phases, issues and of I your life. I that's, think that's the, the work of our journey of yes. life, isn't it? To, to really yeah. kind of become aware of these things, these internal traits that we have and find a way to overcome them or to let go of them quite often. It's just stuff that doesn't really work for us anymore. And yep. it's just letting go of that. But first of all, to identify it is the main point, isn't it? Yeah. And I've spoke to quite a few people about imposter syndrome. Yes. And, you know, it's it's a common a common thing, you it's know, very even common. people who are very successful at what they do can still Absolutely. feel like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I realized it because I never thought I did have it, but then I realized and I'm like, well, it's it's that, right? And so it's this feeling it could be better, you know? It it and it's like, well, why, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's we, we there's a whole other podcast going into that and I really appreciate you coming in and uh it's been great to hear Thank more you. of that story because i heard a little bit of it yeah just the, some of the detail of it and and the book i, I really you know I, I can't wait until you get this translated because i'd love to read it yeah thank it's you a fascinating story this is my goal and for this year i'm sure there's so much more in in detail in the book than that we've kind of oh absolutely synopsitized yes here, but. absolutely that is the main part but you you know you see more of the journey and more of the cultural aspects and absolutely and mm. i'm fascinated by all of it i'm i'm fascinated by you know how people's positions have changed within that story within that journey you know your own position yes the position and, and, and the kind of perspective of, of those Bedouins, you know, how things change. And that really puts a lot of hope out there, doesn't it? It puts a lot of hope Absolutely. Out. Now, when I see we this person who was in the hospital who didn't speak a word of English, you know, spoke English, he met all my friends, you know, everyone who visited me in Qatar and traveled, they came out in the desert with me to experience falconry and meet those Bedouins and... They had this whole access to a different world through me. And and over the past, I would say, 15 years, they started traveling more. And they also had a different connection because now they weren't just traveling as, as Arabs, not being able to speak to anyone, but, but as people who could easily connect and who could resonate with people like me. You know, there was a different... You know, I took them around for falcon breeders in Germany and things. I introduced them in Spain. And now he's working closely with a falcon breeding center and he's in, in Spain, in mainland Spain. And he's learning Spanish wow. on top of his English, you know? So, it's so like there's this, a whole, like, wave just gone out there yeah. into the world of all these yes. people's lives that have changed. Yes. From, from this event, yeah. from this very... Correct. Uh, poignant meeting of you and and uh, and, and that didn't look good guy. in the beginning, as you said. Everything yeah. was going against me at that moment. But what a, what an amazing what an amazing thing! What an amazing journey to have, and what an amazing uh, way that you know you've influenced people's lives, and people have influenced your life, and, and hopefully you know this conversation will influence other lives. And it's just incredible, isn't it? How when we change that perception of what we know and what we think is is yes. the only way to do things and then open it up a bit Absolutely. i mean the possibilities are endless aren't they i'm endless. sure you know i just it would be lovely to just to imagine how all these people have learned to speak english and they've learned you know the the masculine feminine kind of uh gender gender uh, yeah yeah you know how how different that is and you know they've accepted you into that so that will change their perception i'm sure of of how they you know relate to to women in, in their culture maybe so, one last bit just to to 
compare the German and, and Arabic way, just as I said, you know, with the brain parts and the Germans very much, you know, learning something, because I do have a hunting license in Germany. They, I couldn't say it. That's why I was like, I am hunting. I see blood, you know, it's like, it's okay. I'm not going to faint. They understood that later. But in Germany, it's very much, you learn the theory, you know, yes, you do a yeah. bit of practical stuff as well, but it's very theoretical. And the examination is on the theoretical much more than on the practical. I mean, also the idea is that, you know, practice makes perfect yeah. and you learn along the way. And of course, as a hunter, I also learned trails. I have to read trails. Yeah. You know, this is from a deer, wild boar, rabbit, whatever. You know, you, you learn that and I get examined. So when I was with the Bedouins, I thought I would learn falconry, sort of the techniques to learn falconry. But again, what I was in it was a whole lot more. So it was the wind, yeah, how I could see north and south and west and east, not from a compass, yeah. but knowing uh, how the dunes are formed, yeah. you know, understanding wow. where the wind comes from, things like that, right? Um, how to do orientation by the stars, you know, yeah. they taught me some of the main stars there and um, the importance and how to, how to, you know, get my, because obviously Navigate, yeah. when I started Going into the desert, my you know when I was like, okay, I need different tires, I need a different <laughs> yeah. car, you know, I need I yeah. I need to get my 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 setup changed. I started going into the desert by myself, thinking I'd know it all. I got lost, yeah. you know, like wow. terribly yeah. lost. And they were like, okay, you need to know more. And it's it's just like it's not just about training your falcon. You also need to know, you know, how You're to learning yourself navigate in, around in, the the, in the desert. Process, absolutely, yeah. And then it was just so interesting to learn about the trails of the animals, but then also how this I don't know Bedouin or Arab way works. This is not that's a snake trail. This is a mouse trail. This is a it's they don't do that. They do. Oh, look, look, look. There was a, sna a snake. She was trying to... Ah, you see? There is the mouse. She was eating something here. Then the snake tried to attack her, but she got away because, you see, the trail gets shorter, meaning yeah. she was running, and there is no attack scene. So she got away. And I was like, wow. And when you follow that, you, yeah. you can actually read that, you know? And it's not like they're just reading into the... They can differentiate whether it's a female mouse or a female right. snake or a male snake, how old it is, all from the trail reading because they really study it. And, and this is something now, Germans, no way, it's like, it's a snake. Yes, yeah. that's how yeah. far we're going to get. No idea about but the what rest. A, what an example of how, how you can fine-tune uh, completely fine tune your awareness about stuff. absolutely and that also just opened up my brain to the, it's not just yeah it's great if you can identify the different trails but if you can read into them yeah. uh really good bedouins and i learned a little bit off of that they know how old the trail is yeah but not to like a couple of days and now as in hours right right um, there's actually one famous story. We, you know, everyone used to be barefoot back in the old days. One guy, he could, he he knew everyone, everyone's footprint. footprint yeah. And he, uh, there was a burglar once, and he found him because of the footprint. Yeah. Um, and now it's not footprints anymore; it's tires. Yeah. The tires of the car. Well, that was Ahmed, who passed. You know, two hours ago, he was here. <laughs> <laughs> and. So that's this other interesting thing. It's like thing. the Bedouin's uh, version of CCTV, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But of everything, they don't need to tune into the weather app because they're like, oh, 
the wind just changed from north to east. It means that tomorrow there's... Na, 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 na. And they would say it, and then that's what would happen. And it was it's just such a beautiful reminder because that's another thing. It's like I feel like, you know, we check Google Maps. We check the weather and this and this and this. And the more we do that, we, we become dependent on these yeah, apps and lose, on these functions, lose, yeah. and we lose the ability to observe the weather and to know these things by and ourselves. And that's happening on, on so many levels, isn't yeah. it? I mean, you've pointed out some very obvious things there, but so many levels and... Uh, I'm sure, listen, we definitely need to have another yeah, conversation. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that because that was a very interesting... <laughs> yeah, change. no, I'm mesmerised by the whole thing and the culture. You kind of just brought their culture to life, really, just in this conversation, and and it's it's fantastic. But I know that you need to go, so yep. just uh, before you go, let people know where they can follow you, how they can follow you on your journey, because I know you do a lot of posts and... Yeah, on I'm mainly on Instagram at Laura of Arabia. Laura of Arabia on Instagram. Yes, that's what, where what you can great, find me. Great title. So yeah, I mean, if you read German, buy go out and buy Laura's book. It's called Laura von, von Arabia, Arabia <laughs> and it's by Laura Reed. And if you don't read German, wait. Stay and, tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, and I'll definitely be putting it out there once you get your translation done. But thank you so much. It's been a thank you. real pleasure to chat with you. And Likewise. Yeah, thanks very much. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Take care. Bye. <laughs> thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Cockney Guide to Enlightenment podcast with me, Stephen Rosen. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please let us know by following us. Uh, you can tell your friends or you can connect with me on social media at Cockney Profit. And that's across all social media platforms. If you'd like to know a little bit more about my backstory, how I got here, I've got a book out called Lost in the Babylon. And it's a memoir. It's about my life growing up in the East End of London. And it's a real journey through emotional survival it's a journey through separation from self and addiction organized crime redemption it's about change and it's a really interesting read so if you haven't come across that check it out it's on amazon or you can probably walk into a bookshop and order it from there lost in the Babylon, Stephen rosen and i hope that you join us for the next enlightening conversation it will be good to have your company. Take care.